Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This series is brought to you by Super Guardian, a specialist self-managed super fund administrator known for their client-centric approach to their full service solution. If you need SMSF support or CPD, check out the Knowledge Center or sign up for Super Guardian updates at superguardian.com.au. back to the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack and today we are still continuing with our self-managed super fund series and I'm joined by Aaron Dunn. G'day Aaron. G'day Fraser, how are you? Very well, thank you. Now you're from a Smarter SMSF. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so Smarter SMSF was uh, established probably eight or so years ago. Some people would remember previously the SMSF Academy that we founded. Um, the business has evolved over the journey, so the name um, needed to reflect that change as well. But ultimately what we do is we help accountants and advisors in the area of SMSF predominantly in two key areas, so around accredited training and also in documentation. So the ability to establish new funds, pensions, and so forth. And we do that um, with, a, I guess, a technology focus um, and bringing those two things most importantly together because within the SMSF space, um, there are they have their own nuances and, and certainly not only understanding the rules and how they work, but being able to implement is of critical importance as well. And um, given that we have that specialist hat on, a lot of people rely on that technical expertise that we have and that specialization to effectively implement. Yeah, fantastic. And one of the themes that certainly come through a lot of these conversations I'm having is, uh, is, is there is, uh, it was always done very manually um, and, the, and the better that the technology can make things, uh, you know, simpler and easier. And also the training part, um, you know, the training part from, you know, the, the members, uh, the trustees, um, the, the advisors, uh, all the other professionals around the, uh, around the outskirts of it, not just, um, not just, you know, planning. So fantastic. Great to, great to chat to you. Now, tell us about your, uh, how did you get into this? Tell us about your journey. Yeah. So fell into it, I guess. Um, God, back in the in the mid '90s, so showing my age, and those of um, those are, are, are old enough and remember they were called excluded funds back then. So self-managed super funds as an industry didn't exist until 1999. So um, yes, I started out as a just a graduate accountant, so CPA by trade now, and um, but worked within a business that uh, was a practice that had both accounting and financial advice into it um, and ultimately morphed into uh, what was known as um, Snowball Financial Group. And uh, then um, that opened up a whole range of opportunities, more specifically in the SMSF space, where um, over a period of 10 or so years, um, we created quite a sizable SMSF business that supported a network of advisors right around the country. So from that, I was sort of going on this journey of change each and every year because we would see acquisitions in the business. Um, all of a sudden, you know, I would be doing trips to Sydney regularly and then we'd have advisors in Perth and Queensland. And there was this 
technical, I guess, service and, and need for information. And then we would naturally pick up um, a whole range of SMSF work off the back of that. And uh, to the point where we ended up um, you know, building a specialist division out and, and I became the head of SMSF in that, in that organisation. And then uh, it was around the superannuation system review in about 2009, 2010, um, that I actually started writing a blog myself uh, and the chair of that super system review, Jeremy Cooper, um, sought me out for a for, an, for a discussion and, and obviously for some of the content that I was writing at that point in time on phase three of that super system review. Now, um, to get a meeting request with the chair of a government review um, is quite challenging in its in itself. So, um, for me to have a phone call from Treasury um, asking for me to come in, uh, I rang the CEO of our public company at that time, and he said, "What have you done? Are you in trouble?" Uh, <laughs> and in essence, I said, "No, no, no. I've got a meeting with um, Treasury and the chair on um, on Tuesday." And he's like. I'm coming. And I said, no, you're not. <laughs> so I don't know how well that went down. But anyway, uh, so I spent you know a good couple of hours with Jeremy going through a number of things and um, they resonated, which was really, really positive, uh, asked me to make a submission around those things. And uh, fortunately, some of those actually did become law. And a lot of it I spoke about were what I call the bookends of our system and the fact that we did need to improve the advice process uh, and we also needed to tidy up the um, audit component of the industry as well. And here we are today where we do have um, regulations around who can actually provide advice and who can actually conduct the audit both of those obviously governed by ASIC today. So, uh, yeah, so I feel like I did have a bit of a contribution to that, some of that. Some people may hate me for it as well. Uh, but the reality is, is um, you know, one of my own personal mantras is to make sure what I do in the SMSF industry each and every year leaves it in a more positive step for it to progress into future years. And, and I'll continue to do that. And so that sort of took me through to that point in time. And, and I could see this opportunity to really look at competency and, and see the industry growing. Um, so took that opportunity to sort of go out on my own, um, needed to sort of build up to the business as to what it is today and, and focused on that training component. Uh, but then again, as we've done more and more work research into the industry, it has evolved and we've seen that um, it's fine to be able to train people and know what to do, but it's that effectual implementation that people need uh, and again, we've started to really identify that uh, and hence why we've built out now a membership-based business that people can not only access the training courses and stuff that we run, but they can then also, as I mentioned up front, um, access documentation uh, to effectively implement, like I said, from setting up a fund all the way through to um, income streams and when a member dies and so forth. So it's been quite an interesting journey. Um, I'm never bored, but I think you know, the flexibility of, of giving me the time and energy to do what I'm really passionate about uh, has been very rewarding on, on my side of things. Yeah, fantastic. And you can definitely hear the passion in your voice as you speak about it. Obviously, you've, as you just said before, you've seen a lot, you've uh, you've been through a lot, uh, and, and, and so a lot of the things that come out of this is, uh, it, it is a, a particular sector where experience is, is key, uh, and obviously there's a lot 
that can go wrong. Uh, and uh, the best way to learn that is, um, is well, knowing about that to start with, but also uh, from somebody that's been through it before uh, and has, has made those, you know, or seen the mistakes happen and, and, and know yep. what to avoid more than what to do. Um, now, uh, yeah, Jeremy, Jeremy uh, Cooper is a, is, a great, uh, is a great gentleman. We had him on the podcast a few weeks back, so if you haven't heard that, uh, that episode, go back and have a listen. But, um, but uh, I can just imagine <laughs> your boss waiting for you to go to a, to a government, uh, you know, a, almost like an inquiry. Uh, you know, oh, this is a positive thing. I'm pretty sure uh, they would have been freaking out. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so I was when I got the. I remember getting the email. I remember it vividly, and the subscript that the subscriber to the blog post and stuff. And and then yeah, it was it was funny because uh, only a couple of years ago, our SMSF conference in Melbourne, um, I caught up with Jeremy again there, and we we had a beer and we got talking about the the report. And um, he said, oh, I've still got a whole bunch of the final reports, um, you know, paper copies in their plastic and, and whatever. And and he said, I'll send you one. And he did. So he sent it, he signed, he said, thanks for your contribution, really appreciate it. So, you know, even to this day, we yeah, we still um, do keep in touch and, and talk generally when we do catch up at events. Um, seems a bit of a long distant memory at the moment, but the reality is, is that's the case. But yeah, it's good to talk to people about what's happening in the industry generally. And I do spend a lot of time trying to um, interact within the profession um, and with the regulators and the like, because um, yeah, it, it, it's helping not only us to understand where we want it to go, but I think it's important that the regulator needs to as well, because in some instances, they only ever see the bad stuff. They don't really actually get to understand what's happening in practice and and having that interplay between being a practitioner but also having that technical knowledge and how it should actually look. I think as a profession, the more that we drive the standards that we want rather than trying to be dictated from us from regulators, I think we're going to be better off in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, definitely a hard game uh, creating regulations and you do it for often for masses of people, whereas uh, this particular sector, everything seems to be so personalised that it'd be a very, yeah. very difficult thing for a regulator to, to, to create regulation when so many cases are you know different. Yeah, without question, I think that's, that's a big challenge for... You know, we look at an area such as investment strategy and the you know, the ATO had a crack at a couple of things a couple of years ago around limited recourse borrowing and the fact that people were investing in property and some concerns around diversification and the like. And um yeah, you know, and I was I was actively involved in some of that discussion with the ATO then and you know, if they had their time again, the way that they wrote that letter probably wouldn't have been written that way. But that you know, it should have said that they would have been much better having choice you, you do have choice. That's one of the great things about running your own fund. But it does come with its own obligations that individuals need to be aware of. And that's the journey um, for us as professionals to be making sure that trustees are aware of. It's never about that the the trustee needs to be as knowledgeable as what the advisor is, um, but it's got it. They, they have to be well-informed, which means it puts a much higher obligation on us as professionals to know and, and have a level of specialization and specialized understanding um, to be able to support that relationship because there is a lot of implied trust where that trustee does have that relationship with the advisor because of the extra responsibilities that come with them being a trustee of their own fund. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, as you mentioned, 
um, before you sort of there's two main parts of what you do on a on a day to day basis. Uh, the, the the big part of it uh, is the training side of it, yeah. uh, and then the second part is that preparing uh, and helping advisors through the technology platform with the uh, the documentation. documentation. Yeah, uh, let's start let's start with a lot of the training stuff. Um, how do you provide that at the moment? Yeah, so a couple of ways. So uh, first and foremost, we um, have been building out as part of our platform a, a catalogue of training. So we we run quarterly technical updates um, by web-based training. Uh, then we're running specialist topics. But what I'd, one of my projects in lockdown in Melbourne last year was to um, get stuck back into building out a course. We did it a few years ago um, in partnership with a different business uh, and then kind of let that go. But what we have now done is we've gone back and built out uh, what we call our SMSF Foundations course. So uh, something like you know uh, 50,000 words in lockdown uh, in terms of the course content, uh, but we've built out seven modules, 21 CPD hours here for um, practitioners to be able to work through. Uh, and we've done that in an, in an e-learning format where it's available for the user to be able to look at individually um, and they can do that via our platform um, or mobile responsive. But we've also created it for um, what I'd call as a wholesale environment. So it could be utilized by licensees as much as um, an individual. And if people have their own learning management systems, then what we've done is we can then provide all that file information to them. And we've done that with a number of people um, in recent times, including Momentum Media, you know, that, that obviously deals with IFA and, and SMSF Advisor and the like. So um, so there, there are two things. Love to get back on the road, which we're hoping, fingers crossed, to be able to do. We do run um, face-to-face events as well to, to obviously complement a lot of the online um, training that we do as well. Yes, exactly right. Uh, and I love the e-learning concept and, you know, people can consume that content at their own time, uh, on demand as we call it. So so that's yep. fantastic. But you're absolutely right. Getting into a room with a bunch of people, you know, uh, engaging and having that interaction is is, uh, is also very good. And, and, and the few, uh, as this goes, uh, as, as we're talking today, you know, there's a, been a few events that have taken place in, in live rooms and people I think are really starting to embrace that concept again. And uh, I think we've missed, we've missed it a little bit. Yeah, agree. Like I, I did my first one about a month or so ago, just before lockdown, um, in Melbourne, down at the ROCV Club in Torquay, and to get up in front of a room of 120 people again, it was fantastic. I did drop a joke in, um, just to sort of test the room out. It was, well, what's the difference between me standing up here today and if you attended any of my training in the past 12 months? Uh, and everyone's like, where is this going, Aaron? What are you talking about? I said, I'm wearing pants. So. <laughs> So I got a chuckle and I knew the room was good. So the rest of my yeah. hour's presentation was going to work and work quite well. And so were all the people listening to you yeah, that great. day wearing yeah. pants. And we just don't know who's listening to this podcast and not. So there you go. There you go. There's something to think about. And just uh, to confirm, yeah. I am wearing pants today. Yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I was going to say speaking of pants, but I can't I can't make that uh, the link. Uh, yeah. the, next thing, the next part I wanted to talk to you about was some of the research that you've done um, you know, over the last few years. You've, you um, created a, a research a few years back called The, the Future of the SMSF uh, industry. And yep. I guess that's always evolving. But, uh, but back then, you sort of, there's a few key findings from that uh, research. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so we one of the things that we've seen in the industry historically is there's a lot of data on 
um, you know, what are trustees doing? So how are they responding? And, and you know, from an advisor point of view, that's great because it gives you some behavioral aspects about what is going on in the industry. But what I wanted to know is, is well, how are we as practitioners actually serving clients? So let's put the shoe on the other foot here and have a look at what's going on in the sector. And so we we surveyed, we did this survey uh, in throughout 2018 and published the report in November of 2018. So things have continued to evolve, but we had nearly 500 practitioners complete this. So you know, broad spectrum, um, more accountant dominant than than advisor dominant. Um, but what we were able to see across a broad spectrum here was a number of challenges that existed. Uh, and if we think about challenges, primarily the biggest challenge, and this applied, it didn't matter the size of the business, whether they were what we refer to as a specialist or a generalist, um, the number of funds they had in their business. It's all about keeping pace with change. We know within our sector that change um, around legislative change is the biggest challenge. And we continue to see even today in the SMSF sector, um, you know, I talk about um, technical content each and every day. You know, it's a hundred percent of my daily task, and um, I'm literally looking at stuff each and every day, looking at something new. So I kind of go, well, how do practitioners generally keep pace with this stuff? And therefore, you know, that's part of what our business model was able to identify. How do we distill this information in a way that enables them to to do what they need to do? Um, we then also looked at that some of the challenges around technology. Um, how they're delivering different services um, into uh, clients. Um, we Again, we spoke about that operational way in which they're running their business. Are they including SMSFs as part of their general business or are they actually specializing? And what we did see, because this is the third piece of research that we've done, is that we now saw about one in five practices that actually built some level of specialization into their business. And, and that starts to occur around the 70 fund mark, where a business would have you know sort of north of 70 funds, because they could start to justify bringing in specific resources to be able to handle that. So um, yeah, it was quite a fascinating piece of research. Uh, it really did line up with some of the uh, ATO data that we've seen around the the number of funds and the proportions between um, number of funds that a practice has uh, and the level of revenue that, that really supports that as well. Uh, and then, yeah, and so forth. So it, yeah, it was fascinating. From there, we were able to then identify off the back of that some of the opportunities that exist for advisors. So from addressing those challenges and then what is that key success factor to move thereafter? Um, yeah, so I guess the, the main thing out of that, what we did see is from a technology front is we have been reasonable adopters of technology. So cloud has been adopted quite well, but the pace of technology has been far greater than the pace of organizational change. So this was a concept that was introduced by in a thing called Martex Law. Um, and what we found was very similar here. All the efficiency gains that we saw out of this research was basically provided by the software provider <laughs> rather than within the organization. And and that's and that's a that's a people thing. That's a way in which organizations are prepared to make that change. 
Um, and it's interesting, when I did a presentation uh, at the SMSF National Conference earlier this year, uh, virtually, we went back and looked at that concept. And within the COVID environment, we said, well, what impact has, act- has COVID actually had on this concept to Martex law? And the reality is, is we have been quite fortunate as an industry because the adoption of technology and, and our ability to adapt reasonably quickly due to COVID was a huge factor in us to be able to continue what we do. And what I mean by that is that we were able to you know, work from home, keep doing what we're doing, have meetings online with clients, and generally keep things going along, whereas a lot of industries weren't clearly able to do that. And that's redefining the way in which we obviously work generally. Um, But we've been able to pivot and pivot quite quickly so that we could respond to those needs. And and now it's this continued uptake of technology because the pace of change of technology is not going to change. It's only going to get um, more and more rapid in terms of what we need. So the way in which we have to respond going forward, it's not just let's change for the sake of COVID and let's revert back. We need to continue to adapt and evolve um, because technology is going to continue to adapt and evolve as well. Yeah, this has been a really interesting thing during COVID, and, and I guess it's uh, it's not just um, you know just in one sector. Yeah. It's 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 public in general. We've obviously got the the advisors um, evolving with technology, but we've also got the um, the trustees and the the individuals and the members. And well, let's just face it, consumers generally yep. now all know know how to use a QR code, and now they know all they've all evolved as well. It, it's a very different. Um, Every, every single stakeholder in the process has evolved over that time. Yeah, and in an SMSF it's really, sector, it's really interesting with this because it has typically been a in, a, in a compliance sense, it's been a once a year requirement. Now, the advisor naturally is having more regular conversations, but this COVID period has arguably reset expectations of trustees as well because there is far more, as you said, um, older Australians in particular who have become more technology savvy just because they needed to. It was the only way they would be able to communicate um, in various forms of life. So it's opened their eyes up to what technology can do. So if you've got cloud-based products, which the SMSF industry is really fortunate, the technology that they have is a real... Um, even in in terms of there's there's no one organisation that has a monopoly or or oligopoly exists in our industry because they have proprietary software that is over and above anything else. The the fact that there are software providers in our industry that allows for a sole practitioner in the burbs to be able to generally are given you know resources to be able to compete with someone that runs multi funds, they're using the same technology. So from that point of view. Um, the expectations are there for clients. So therefore, it's up to the advisors and the service providers to be able to kind of step up to the plate to fully utilize the technology that is there. So it's not the panacea to the, to you know, the outcomes that they want for their client, but it's the enabler to be able to do so. And I've always said when I spoke on this topic quite a lot um, in the past, how many people in your organization uh, know 100% of your software, right? And I would argue that there is very, very few, right? And I, I get one or two arms ever put up in a, in a room. And that's the challenge, right? Because specialization isn't just you need to be technically very strong. 
you actually need to know how to extract every you know, every last little bit out of your software to enhance the value proposition that you can provide to your clients. And again, that's not just SMSS specific because there is what I find a lot of times there's a lot that is left on the table because there's not the time, effort and energy that's put into systems and processes within the organization to continue to look at change and improving value to your clients. Because in a in an SMSF sense, what we see is the more that practitioners continue to do the same as what they do, there will be elements of that, that automation and AI and machine learning and stuff will start to compress down, which is then going to impact on the pricing that can be charged. So I talk about maintaining value by value stacking um, and therefore it needs people to spend time, effort and energy into you know what their key resources are within their business and that includes their software. Yeah, exactly. And um, and that now you mentioned that the, the, the 70 funds is, a, is an interesting number for specialization. Um, but just on the just on the concept uh, before we get into the into that specifically, yep. on the concept of specialization versus the general um, and I, and I, and I, and I'm going to refer to the medical industry here, obviously there's specialists in the medical industry and then there's GPs yep. or general practitioners. Um, and to go see a specialist, you really are referred by a GP. They, they sort of do that, um, uh, triage, I guess you could call it to see yep. if this yep. is a, appropriate to you. Um, but in, but in our sector, we sort of have specialists and they can, the, the public can go directly to. Yeah. So it, it's the perfect analogy. It is the perfect analogy because that's what you would expect to have happen. Um, it doesn't always happen. I mean, we do we do work whereby um, we we do get we are the surgeon, so we get asked to come in and and look at specific tasks. But part of what we've done there is we've also then tried to, um, as part, as our business model, um, try to automate some of that surgery you know so machines do some of the surgery now if you think about it in a hospital mm. and, as well and, and so how can we actually evolve that as well to ensure that well sure there's ip that we know in in my head and my team's head to be able to effectively implement and deal with um you know again a payment of a death benefit as an example but it doesn't mean that i'm the one that has to do that work can we pr- build a process forms using the technology and infrastructure there to enable the advisor, the accountant, whoever it is, the trustee, if need be, if they're competent enough to do it, to be able to go through a triage process and then actually produce the documentation that they would need. Now, that that will apply whether it's advice, whether it's um, compliance related. Um, so there is a real opportunity here for those that specialize in this area. And I think that's, I spoke about up front about the advice gap as well, um, because those that really specialize um, and specialize quite deeply in this um, will pick up a lot of work because of that general gap. But it is a a large challenge going back to your original question because we don't see ordinarily the, um, this is outside of the scope of really how I'm skilled at, but they still try and sort of punch through. Oh, hang on, let me grab the scalpel and I'll try and cut an incision here. And oh yeah, it's not too bad, but it's not perfect. And, and that's not, you know, it's not the right way to go about it. And and so hopefully as this um, industry evolves um, and, you know, it will become interesting, interesting with the advice landscape moving forward. There's always been this, um, 
discussion about you know whether there needs to be a an additional layer within the regulations about being able to provide specialist advice in the SMSF sector, uh, and that's really determining yeah who should hold the scalpel. Yeah, it, it certainly is, and, and we'll get into the technology piece uh, shortly because I want to go through that as well. But before we do that, um, you sort of touched on the idea of what the the advice framework is at the moment, and 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 let's sort of go through that what it, where it's come from, some of the some of the framework that worked and didn't work, and and what that might look like in the future. Yeah, so to me, um, the concept of limited advice framework clearly hasn't worked. Um, I get the the rationale as to why the government wanted to do it. I'm I'm certainly in the camp where um, you know the the put imposing a limitation on just being able to set up an SMSF without any sort of advice. Um, I'm certainly was an advocate for that because I think. Yeah, you know, there are too many stories of of you know, people going in for the wrong reasons, and and that does leave a bad taste in the sector that is wholeheartedly you know moving and moving along quite strongly. And every review that happens kind of supports that. So we still need the robust framework that sits around it. But there is a recognition that the current arrangement doesn't work for accountants, and there is a need to have to revisit that. And but revisit it in line with. You know, a lot of the other work that's being done with um, financial ad- uh, advisors at the moment, which is, of course, so we're seeing single disciplinary bodies. We're also seeing adjustments around um, the requirements to have to comply with the TPB and sort of consolidating a lot of the, re- the the process. And one of the things that I'm a big advocate for going forward is, um, is this kind of simplified advice piece for SMSFs. Now, Last year with COVID, we saw a legislative instrument being issued by ASIC to allow for um, a record of advice to be provided for someone that wanted to really access the 10K early release. Now, it was not used very much at all because it had limitations on the amount you could charge and so forth. But conceptually, um, I think we were not far from getting that right. Now, that um, not only included advisors, but it also actually included um, accountants in that to be able to actually have some conversations with clients around those things. So, so I'm actually for coming up with a solution whereby we need to um, break out the concept of strategic advice um, and look at that independently and separately um, from the investment advice piece. Now, what how that looks is obviously part of the discussion that we need to have ongoing. But SMSFs have always been first and foremost a um, strategy focused industry, and then second has become an in, a an investment strategy focused sector. So we've got to address those two things independently. Now, sure, there are going to be advisors that overlap in those things, and great for them to be able to do so. Um, but that's the challenge, I think, that we need to solve over the course of the next 18 months um, because there is a huge gap. It's great for advisors who work within that space. They should be looking at how they can um, see that opportunity and, and fill that gap. And I know many practitioners in this space that do that and do that quite well. Um, but it doesn't solve the bigger issue because, you know, <laughs> the, 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 many, the many few can't solve for the... Um, for the you know me and Australians that are out there that are currently members of SMSF, so and and simply ignoring it and and letting people go down a self-directed path to do it themselves without understanding all the risks is not the right answer either. It's interesting, I because that's exactly what I was thinking of when you were saying that is the actual consumer at the end 
They, yeah. and, and you're mentioning the idea of that there's a gap, there's a gap, there's a gap, but is anyone pointing out to the consumers where the gaps are? Gap you know, is, like is yeah. that you know is there a is there a follow the bouncing ball system or process in place? And obviously, they you know there's there's, there's you know training available to to the, the members as well uh, and the trustees as well. But um, there there certainly needs to be something that sets out that says, well, you haven't actually covered all these different items. You you shouldn't be doing Correct. this. Yeah, and and there'll be a you know there's going to be gaps in that process whereby again you know it may be the accountant having the conversation, but there's an identification of an insurance need. Now, again, this is where we go back to our GP versus surgeon. Um, it's not necessarily specialization, but it's where we start to move outside the scope. And these are all conversations that we've been having for years, um, but these conversations will have to continue to evolve because the regulations of our sectors continue to evolve as well. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Now, um, now, I want to sort of shift a little bit if I can we're yep. um, into the different stages of uh, advisors and advice practices uh, that that do SMSFs. You've you've done some um, work around this and, and released some documents and paperwork and or papers, I should say, so, uh, yep. working papers on this. Do you want to talk about the five stages of an SMSF business? Yeah. So this followed on from um, our future of SMSF report. So again, as we were digging through the data, and we obviously published our report and and sort of kept going back to it. You know, it's like an itch that would <laughs> you'd keep needing to scratch. And I'm like, there's, there's more in this. And what we ended up identifying was this concept of what are called five stages of an SMSF business. And and really it it looked at the, you know, the number of practitioners in the space, what that representation looked like, whether they were generalists and specialists, um, how they were delivering those services. But the most important thing out of it was, from those five stages, we identified what was the biggest challenge of that stage and then what was the key success factor to move them from that stage to the next. So the five stages are we start at the endangered practitioner. So this is the person that is kind of fleeting around in SMSF. Um, you know, like we are saying before, they're you've kind of given them a scalpel, but they shouldn't have the scalpel. <laughs> and and what we found is clearly that biggest challenge for them is keeping up to date, but the success factor for them to move on from that is knowledge. So this concept of knowledge of power. So we then move into our steady professionals. So this is, um, this is a fairly large representation, but they still see SMSF as part of their broader business. So, you know, servicing their clients. And that's in whether it's in the context of, of an accounting practice or whether it's in the context of an advisor. The biggest challenge when we got to that was lack of resources. So I'm just time poor. So I know I need to be doing more, but I literally can't. Um, so what we did see in there, and they thought at that point in time that moving to cloud would fix all their problems. <laughs> of course. So Yeah, right. What? So it's this whole concept of well, it's not, um, it's not cloud. Uh, it's not just moving to cloud. You've actually got to build a process for implementation because it's about freeing up resources in your business to be able to then do the things that you need to do to take you across to that next stage. Then we moved into a specialist provider. So this is the first time that there is a recognition in the business that we actually have specialization there. So we've got resources dedicated to doing that. Um, and and this, again, is, this is where you talked about the 70 fund. Yeah, so this 70 uh, fund, yeah. yeah, 75, 75, 80 funds, um, you're starting to see that shift. So so that, that batch here that we found was sort of that 70 all the way up to 250 funds um, there as a specialist provider. So the challenge here was around 
implementing change. So it's systems and processes about how the work is being done. Now, some of it maybe have been forced over the course of the last little bit, but the the this then requires the success factor is to really get that business process right. So are you servicing your client once a year? Are you servicing them every month? Are you servicing them on a quarterly basis? And therefore, what does your business model look like and how does the service that you're delivering reflect what you want to actually do? And that may have mean some clients don't like it and you may need to make some decisions and changes around that. Some might actually come along for the journey. But again, you're stacking the value in the way that you want to do what you want to ultimately provide them. We then went on to our merging player. So this is where people have specialized and they're growing um, and they're kind of at this business model decision well, am I going to forego some of the other elements of my business to actually go 100% in on this part of the sector? Um, and this is, you know, 250, 500 funds. Um, they've, now got a, they've now got a business process and framework in terms of how they're servicing clients, um, how they're charging those clients, et cetera, et cetera. So that business model decision is now the big thing for them. That's their challenge. So are we are we like all chips in? <laughs> are we pushing yep. them onto the table? Yep. Is this what we're doing? So it then becomes a strategic planning thing for them to go, okay, what do we now need to do to become one of the very big players and, and you know be really influential in our marketplace? And that's where we come to our final one, which is our industry leader. So in this space, you know, it's our data could only really do 500 funds, but there are providers in this space that are now doing many thousands of funds. And and it's interesting because the survey found that those that are specialists in that in that major um, player or industry leader are setting up nearly 300% more funds than a general practitioner. So the rapid rate, so 20 to 25,000 funds being established every year, I would argue that 90%, 80 to 90% of those are being set up in that specialist space and north um, because of the fact that it has become so much more specialized, um, this SMSF sector. So it's the once you become that major player, it's all about attracting clients and then it's getting your sales and marketing type strategy because it's a it's a very small segment, um, but it's a highly competitive segment. Yeah, well, so that's uh, that's really interesting that um, those five different areas. And I guess I, I always put the consumer hat back on and say, well, you know, what would they select or what should they be selecting? And yep, it becomes and it becomes a pretty when you when you break it down like that, it becomes a pretty easy choice if you showed that. If you if the consumer could see that sort of um, framework as to why, especially when those larger players embracing the technology, using it to its full extent, being highly competitive in its marketplace on a pricing perspective, but still doing it and doing it reasonably um, efficiently and and profitably as well. So um, yeah, so from that point of view, I think that trend is starting to happen because advisors are really starting to partner more with the administrators with that specialization. I think that's a trend that I've seen more and more as opposed to maybe forming relationships with the general practitioner um, because of that that risk, I guess, that management of, you know, I need to be aware of what's going on from an SMSF-related issue and, and can that steady practitioner or that endangered practitioner actually answer those questions or are they doing it right for me and is it actually posing more risk for me? I know we've got a relationship here in referring work and stuff, but 
it's not the outcomes, it's not in the best interest of my client to actually be forging that relationship. So I'm better off having a look at, from an administration point of view, getting someone that knows their elbow from their armpit um, to actually ensure that that work is done and done right and done in a timely fashion. Yeah, fantastic. And, now, and, gives, talk- me, and gives me the tools, importantly, as well as the advisor. So that visual cue to be able to see contributions and pensions and all that other stuff, which um, is typically a feature of, of what that sort of part of the market provides. Yeah, fantastic. Now, talk to me about the evolution of the technology because um, we, we've sort of used touch on a few of the things, um, yep. uh, you know, in, in past things that have improved and which has been great, efficiencies yep. and effectiveness and, uh, and, and you know, helping with helping advisors with, with the process and, and, um, and those sorts of things. So talk to me about how that's evolved, but also t- tell me about what you think it's going to evolve to in the future. Yeah, so technology is an interesting one because it will, you know, it's it's been the real game changer in the industry for, you know, the nearly probably a decade, nearly now. When you think about um, in the SMSF space, we've seen service providers start to really focus in on their cloud footprint. So from a software perspective, and as I mentioned, we would now have uh, of the six hundred thousand funds. At a guess, we're sort of in the mid 400s, so 450 plus thousand of all SMSFs now are utilizing or now have their SMSF on one of three or four cloud based um, compliance technology platforms. So it is very significant um, the role that technology has had there. So um, this this level of adoption has been critical to that um, internally from the uh, accountant point of view, from the advisor point of view, even from the audit point of view. And as I mentioned before, that's really going to play a significant role on the um, pricing. We've seen a lot of practices move to more um, fixed billing cycles or fixed fee ways in which that work's being done in an account sense where it may have primarily previously been done timesheet based. It's not happening that way. Advisors even changing the way quite clearly that they're they're supporting that um, as well. So technology, we've kind of seen the first iteration through cloud and the efficiency that's happening. The next iteration here is is really going to be that um, impact that machine learning is going to do. So we are literally at you know, version 1.0 or 1.1 um, around what that's doing in some of the um, uh, software providers. Uh, so you know, this ability to you know, auto-match and auto-process transactions and so forth is really going to be a, a quite a significant changer where to the extent you'll go, well, is a trustee kind of going to be able to just feed answers into this machine to be able to get a lot of their compliance work done? doesn't spell the end to um, you know, advisors and accountants and so forth. But again, it comes back to um, those practitioners saying, well, what are the areas that I can provide the most value to to my clients um, and therefore ensure that I continue to have revenue coming into my business? And I, I refer back to before I made the comment of value stacking. You, you need to know where you can provide the most value. Um, and if you don't, then you are going to come up against the challenges that technology will present um, because you're doing things that a machine can do much easier. And even to the extent that we have seen a globalized workforce um, in this last five or six years start to drive pricing down, but the cost of of machines um, and the ability for them to do the work is going to become even cheaper than a globalized workforce um, at some time in the not too distant future. So, 
it is really being cognizant as professionals about you know what is happening from a technology and a trends point of view um, and continuing to evolve your business model off the back of it. Yeah, fantastic. And it's obviously, you know, the very first step in that savings is, is efficiencies around the business model and then and then that can drive uh, that price reduction and uh, and that competitive pressure to, to keep the price um, down a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Um, AI, again, machine learning and, and, and the more data that comes along with that, I'm expecting sort of over the next few years, four or five years, then the, the amount of data available for machines to consume in that space will, will make them a lot smarter. Yeah, and the real interesting one is, so ASIC, um, there was quite controversial because ASIC released a um, fact sheet on, on the costs of SMSFs you know, a few years ago, and it stated that SMSFs were about $13,900 a year to run. And everyone went, you know, you're kidding me, you're that far wrong. But you know they were relying upon historical ATO data. Now, the way that that was dispelled was done through the SMSF Association working with providers like um, BGL, who have you know the best part of two hundred twenty thousand funds online, and sharing some of that data to be able to debunk a lot of that stuff. So, so ASIC has now you know removed that fact sheet, acknowledged that it was statistically um, out of kilter, but that's what technology has enabled an industry to do. Where you know I'm guessing BGL as the example or class will be the same. They're going to have over a billion transactions running through their platform now, each of them. Um, so the ability to data mine and look at information, and that's why the SMSF Association is working with them to try and build reports and to get people to better understand based upon more real-time information um, to know what is going on. And, and the more that the um, that the association can play that advocacy role, the more that we can, as a profession, be driven um, on standards and expectations that we want to set rather than coming the other way, where we do unfortunately see examples of the regulators trying to put mechanisms in to protect consumers, but they're not using data that can really stack up because of the historical nature of the reporting that occurs within a lot of government agencies. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. The more the more information that we can get, the more it's it's brought to light the more factual it becomes and the more, you, they, uh, you know, as you said, there will always, well, there's probably always going to be some bad eggs doing some, the wrong thing in any yep. particular profession or sector. Um, and instead of just highlighting those, obviously we need to fix those, but uh, just instead of just highlighting those and tarnishing the entire sector, it's, um, it's really about saying, well, hang on, let's, let's, let's look at the numbers and the stats here and, and be, be real about it. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, fantastic. So, uh, what what else is happening in the future for you know, let's say five years from now, we've got a crystal ball. What uh, <laughs> what are we looking at? Uh, so, I think you know, from from the advice model, I'd like to, like I said, I'd like to see a far more simplified strategic advice model. This is something that has already been recognised. So, FPA Australia, in concert with the SMSF Association and the accounting bodies. Um, have all been quite consistent in their messaging about this, which I think is, again, a positive step. We want to be professional. We want to be driven by the profession rather than via the regulator. So I'd like to see um, a revised framework that that you know is mutually beneficial to all, you know, obviously consumer top of mind, but we want to make sure that the, the way in which 
practitioners generally, advisors, accountants, and so forth can can work harmoniously, I guess, within within this um, SMSF sector. But those obviously with that level of specialization as well. Um, from my point of view, I think the um, uh, the opportunity with technology is going to continue to change. And that doesn't just happen, I guess, when we talk with the conversations we had before with um, you know, the software providers, but we are seeing a recognition by government that technology is evolving. So we have seen during COVID the changes around electronic execution of documents and the fact that many of those measures are looking to become permanent into the future. Um, we've also seen a um, current arrangement where the government is looking to modernise a number of areas because the superannuation laws are exempt from the Electronic Transactions Act. So to give you an example of that area, the fact that you may be able to undertake a whole heap of record keeping for SMSFs using electronic means rather than having to physically sign documents, even binding death benefit nominations, if we can validate and verify the individual through DocuSign or Adobe Sign, why do we actually need to have witnesses witness those documents? So these are the discussions that are happening at a government level at the moment and consultation with the industry that will see that technology change continue as well. So, um, and I guess the last one is, you know, this specialization is going to continue to see a gap in service providers. So that five stages I spoke about before, um, there is a widening gap between the very best and those that aren't really, um, you know, playing to its absolute fullest extent in the industry. And the question will then become at some point in time, well, how do we have to step in and maybe put in another layer of regulation in that space? And that's a challenge to the ATO um, in, in that respect, because as I said earlier on, the SMSF software has been a great equaliser but there are obligations that some generalists will struggle with that specialists actually thrive on. So again, unless it's done by some sort of market forces, there may need to be some other sort of regulation as well. And, and what all this means ultimately is, is that the industry you know, in, is in good shape, but it provides advisors with an opportunity to understand, again, how their business model works. We are continuing to see younger and younger and younger entrants come into the market. So that model looks very different to your 65 and 70-year-old um, baby boomer type client that has retirement fully wedded into you know, what they want to do and how long they want their money to last. And um, for those that get that stuff right, um, will be very successful over the coming years as well. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, thank you, Aaron, for coming and sharing all of your wealth of knowledge. Now, Pleasure tell us if someone, if someone wants to get hold of you, what's the best way? Yeah, the best way they can get in contact with us, um, our website is smartersmsf.com. Uh, you can get in contact with us either our phone number 1300 95 94 76 or you can email us at team at And you'll find me on social media everywhere. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> the handle uh, at, at smartersmsf. At smartersmsf. Fantastic. Thank you, Aaron. Really appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Fraser. Mm-hmm.